Welcome to the Liberty Mom podcast. Chris Kimball hosting today. Liberty Moms are the real secretaries of defense when it comes to their families, their children, and their community. And uh, I'm excited to have um, one of our more infamous Liberty Moms joining me today. Um, I'm going to describe her as being a self-appointed, unelected, untrained, and uncertified individual. And you know what? That's probably what all Liberty moms are. They're kind of self-appointed. They just jump in and, and uh, when they see a problem that's affecting their family, their children, they, they, they jump in, they're self-appointed. They don't wait for someone to reach out and say, Hey, you know, we're abusing your children. Do you feel like you might want to get involved? No, they, they kind of self-appoint themselves to do this. And uh, this particular Liberty mom is Jennifer Orton. And she is one half of the red pill, two pills, two red pills in Utah. I am so sorry, two red pills in Utah. And uh, Sophie Anderson is not able to join me, but Jennifer is here, and I can't wait to talk with her because it's been kind of a long time since we've chatted about um, the, um, the corruption, let's just call it what it is, the corruption here in Utah. And what I love most about Jennifer is just the idea that she hates corruption. That's kind of your motivation, right? Absolutely. I mean, corruption is the antithesis of truth. And truth is, to me, the most important thing. We, we came down here for truth, right? And to, to whatever obstacles are in the way of that, we need to expose. It's not just a hobby. I look at it as a, as a calling, as a, as a scriptural duty. I mean, we find that all through scripture, that ability and the requirement to go find the real truth for ourselves. And when we know it, we need to share it. And I think that's the only way we're going to turn this world into the place it was really intended to be when God created it. You know, I'm, I'm glad to hear you kind of take kind of a, a, a religious twist on this to the saying, I don't want to say religious as much as a spiritual twist on this because you and I talked beforehand and, and I listened to one of your podcasts that you did recently with, I don't remember his name over in, in England, but it was quite delightful Jason Lutzhaus, I think. It's a hard last name to spell, especially. I loved it to hear this little Brit with his um, points of liberty, which isn't, um, it's not the norm that I come across when I interact with my um, friends and colleagues over in, in Britain, because they've kind of grown up in a socialistic kind of environment, you know, Yeah. by the nature of how that country's been run. Yeah. And it's interesting because he said, he said, I'm realizing listening to you that I need to say God more, you know, kind of a thing. And I think we all kind of forget this is really the battle of good versus evil, light and dark. It's not somebody versus the lieutenant governor versus me. It's not Utah versus, you know, whatever. Those are all um, symptoms, I guess, of the real problem. And and again, that's that's 
truth versus evil. It's been there for millennia here on the earth. It's been here before the earth. It's going to be here afterward. It's the, the forces are always going to be there. So when we lose sight of this, that it's a spiritual battle, we lose sight of the ability to really win this war on a permanent level. And that's really what I'm looking to do. These books behind me, they're kind of funny. I have four walls that are just like this and every single one of them is dedicated to ancient scripture and scripture from around the world and commentaries. And when I'm not doing this, this is where my heart lies because I know that again, that's the only real solution is changing people's hearts and getting them to really seek and love truth. And that's been taken from us with all the lies here. It has. And you know, we've, We've gotten to the point where we've seen what's been exposed since, <clears throat> excuse me, even when Trump got elected, I looked at him as so, sort of the, the person that was going to expose the corruption that we had. Because if we didn't have him, we wouldn't have had an election cycle like we had where they threw, as, as the lone um, raccoon said, they threw everything, including the kitchen sink at us to try to get this person out of office. So we were, it it was revealed the level of corruption, our awful situation was kind of revealed to us. If you were looking for that, right? Because we went on, I mean, sure, there's been, uh, sure, there's been fraud, you know, voting machines, but we would not have seen the level of fraud that was used to overturn this last election cycle. Exactly. And I don't think it stops there, right? We've been lied to in the education system. We've been lied to about what's politically correct and what our culture is, you know, pressured to feel like is really the right way to do things. But, you know, I mean, again, I go back to scripture every time. It's like black is white and white is black. And, you know, what's good is evil and what's evil is good. Everything is so twisted. And I, it saddens me how many things, even in history, that have been changed or manipulated or even deleted or reversed. So it really does become an endeavor that I think people have to really, really want to find out what's going on in order to fix it. And elections are probably just the most blatant at the moment. But this has been on for, for so long it's in every aspect of our country, and our culture. Yeah, you're right. It is. It has seeped through every. And that's why I guess it feels like we're we're just inundated with so much to fight at this point in time because you get so busy with trying to stop what's happening in education. But then you're like, well, we've got the, the election cycle to clean up and, and to, to restore and and make sure that we have safe and secure voting. And then you're looking at what's happening in the military and then what's happening in the police. And there's so many facets of our society, but but it is a spiritual battle. And when you talk about what's good is bad, hello, that's, hello, Isaiah. Isaiah saw, hey, and I can't understand why there are so many Christians who profess to believe in God and follow Jesus, but yet refuse to see this um, prophecy that good would be considered bad and bad would be looked upon as good and not realize that's happening in our time. Well, and it says that right there in the New Testament, right? That he will send them delusion. You know, if we aren't looking for the truth, and he says a lot of people would look for truth if they knew where to find it, but are we looking for it? Are we digging for that when it's presented to us? Is it, you know, are we just too wrapped up? And one of my favorites is in Haggai when he says, you know, you guys are too busy remodeling. And this is, you know, my paraphrase of of Haggai 1. Um, You guys are too busy remodeling your houses to build the true 
house of God, right? And Mm -hmm. you look at that and you're like, are we? I mean, I can't see how that's wrong. And it's easy to get distracted, but I think we fail to realize that distraction is a weapon of the dark side. And it's probably, in my guess, is probably the biggest distraction because if we're not paying attention, we'll believe anything or go along with anything as long as we're, you know, our comfort zone isn't, isn't, um, altered and that's a really dangerous place to be i think overall and i think we're, we're all guilty of it we've all done it for probably too long as a nation and here we are right now i look at it as a very merciful opportunity that trump was able to do what he did to help awaken the people i can't imagine how bad it would be if we did not have this period to kind of sort things out and wake up and then decide which side of the fence we really want to be on as a nation and as a person You know, that's a good point that you make about his mercy, because he is giving us an opportunity in this in this time frame to what are you going to do about it? It's been revealed. Okay, you've seen it. You've watched it. You're you're it's in real time. But how many people are still I'm amazed at how many people are still more concerned about their trip to Disneyland, you know, their summer vacation. And again, I'm guilty of that. I mean, we do a summer vacation. Okay. We don't go to Disneyland. Don't do that anymore. Good, good. <laughs> and um, but we're and a society that has been lulled to sleep by entertainment, by um, having affluent um, lifestyles. You know, we um, have so many things at our fingertips that makes our lives so much easier to live. I had an opportunity to go to Kenya about ten years ago and do on humanitarian and. I, I shadowed a Kenyan woman in the, in the Miganani village. And I mean, all morning it took her hours to just get the, the corn ground, everything done to prepare lunch. I mean, they're just mm. in survival mode and it takes all day for them to go fetch the water, bring it into their home. You know, they might have to walk up a couple of miles to get their, their um, tubs of water that they carry. And we we don't ha- we don't have all of that burden to to survive. We're at a place where we should be self- having a self actualized moment every day because our basic needs are being met on a daily basis for most of us, not all of us, but for a lot of us. And what are we doing with our spare time? You talked about how you like to go in and study ancient um, religion and the scripture and and how that pertains. What does that look like for us today? But yet, how many people are more interested in the next Netflix series, right? It's, yeah, it's astounding that, you know, you start to bring up anything with God, even to people who, you know, are religious, and you can see their mind just going, where's my phone? I, I need to, I need to, you know, what can I do? It's, it's like, it's almost uncomfortable. We've gotten away from that, that whole point. And I love your example about Kenya. I mean, I wonder, are they more happy than we are as a people? I mean, isn't that really what it is? You know, I mean, we're man's here to have joy, right? And are, are we finding it in the busy lifestyle? I mean, I know I'm exhausted. Um, you know, there's always things to do, you know, emails and this and that. And I go, oh, my gosh, this is energy. If we could just slow down, mm-hmm. get rid of the temporal, not all of it, but just the stuff that really isn't sufficient. And how much time we would have to really solve this problem. And I know we, we've had to be on turbo for these elections, given the, the federal um, and the state deadline for the information. So we've really had to ramp that up. And 
But there are people working out there, but I don't know that it's enough people to really get done what we need to do. And again, even if we can fix the elections right now, my biggest concern is, is it a permanent change? I mean, are the hearts changed? Are the people really like, wow, we lost sight of the Constitution, which was God-given. We lost sight of the things that matter most. You know, have we just been omitting some commandments because we're so busy in this alternate, you know, lifestyle, which in so many ways is absolutely incredible. But at the same time, it's hindering us, I think, from going back to those core values that would really solve this for the long run. So that's really what my passion ends up being in this and my motive in all of this. I don't want to do this forever in politics. I I just I I want to help people whose hearts get changed so that this is a long-term solution for the planet. You know, in that last interview that you gave that I just heard recently from the UK, you brought up January 6th. So I thought we'd talk about that for just a minute because it's interesting. You and Sophie didn't know each other, but you were back there in DC and I was back there in DC. And when you guys talked about how it was such a spiritual experience, that is totally what I had. I remember that morning being on the ellipse at the, um, by the White House at the park, and we were right at the base of Washington Monument. And honestly, when they came out and it finally started and they were singing the, I couldn't, I couldn't sing the anthem. I was, I was bawling. And I could feel the, the spirit of people who had died during the, his, the course of our American history that they were there with us, that it wasn't just us in the flesh. It was other patriots in the spirit that had gathered. I could feel that energy on that lawn. And it just was so overwhelming. I was just like sobbing. It was so beautiful and so spiritual. That is, It was one of the most spiritual experiences I've had. And so when I heard you give that same sort of analogy, I thought, wow, that isn't described much about January 6th. Yeah. So just to be clear, though, sorry, I was not there, but my family was. My husband took the kids. My oldest daughter had a college recruiting coach for basketball coming that same time, and we couldn't reschedule. So I ended up staying back with her just for that, and it worked out really well. But um, but my my husband took the kids. And so everything I got from them real time was saying the same thing. You know, even the younger ones were like, wow, we did not realize we're, we don't understand why this narrative has shifted. We were there. It doesn't make it doesn't make sense. But the best comment I probably got was from my I don't even know. He was probably 14 at the time or something, 13 or 14 year old son. And he's like, mom, it just felt like there was a covenant being made. And he's like. And I don't know that he really understands covenants at a full level, like, you know, some of us do with, with, you know, with age and over time, but I knew exactly what he was talking about. There was something about having, having a group of people who are in one purpose and one mind and one heart, you know, in God's nation in there fighting for godly divine principles all together that I'm like, I don't know how that couldn't not be. I mean, for the people really at that day, I feel like they are the heroes like you and Sophie and the people who were there. Um, they were the heroes who really showed God what was going on because I, one of my favorite, and I know, you know, this, um, Chris, this phrase, you got to have the stirring below to have the stirring above. 
I felt like January 6th was that stirring below that awarded or granted or whatever you want to call it that unleashed that heavenly help, that, that extra heavenly help that we needed to get us through these next two years. You know, your son made a very um, profound statement with talking about that covenant because that is kind of what it looked like. And we were standing, you couldn't, we were standing like, in fact, (laughs) I was laughing because I thought, you know, it's right during the height of COVID and I had strangers like just, we were squished in. I mean, I don't know how many people were actually on the lawn at that time, but they were all there with a place of um, wanting to make sure the right thing happened, wanting to make sure that God's laws, which are encompassed in the Bill of Rights and in our Constitution, that they were being followed and that um, uh, nothing was being taken away. Nothing was being stolen. We were there to stand for that. There was no violence. The most peaceful, like I say, loving spiritual feeling. But I'll tell you, when I left and went down to the Capitol and got there like around two in the afternoon, I could feel that energy shift as I approached the west side of the Capitol. And it was totally dark, negative energy. And that's where obviously bad actors had, you know, showed up. While we were still down at the White House, they had showed up and started, um, you know, doing whatever they wanted to do, whatever their agenda was. But uh, you could feel the change. It definitely went dark when we went up to the Capitol. I have heard this, the same thing reported back from my family. In fact, they were sending me real-time footage because I felt so bad that I couldn't go, but they were sending real-time footage of the speakers before and things waiting up, you know, that great moment when Trump comes out and, and talks. And those preachers were amazing. You know, you were there, right? They were yeah. speaking truth and they had the energy and it didn't feel like it was um, a show or any kind of similar. It felt heartfelt enough that my kids literally said that was a spiritual experience that whole day. Um, and that really says a lot about those preachers and those people who were there for the right reasons to really bring to pass what we need to do. So I, I don't know. I feel like there, that was a pivotal moment in history, not for an insurrection, but because it was a revival. And when they were sending me the videos, it looked like a revival. I'm like, it looked like the 1800s revival. We got all these people and they're enthused and they're, they're really truly worshiping. And I, so anyway, it made me excited. And I really do think that we'll see the other side of those the spiritual benefits of that at some point in the future more clearly yeah i agree so you know looking ahead we've got primaries here in utah and you already mentioned about your concerns about whether or not people will stay engaged or if if we fix one election cycle will it just go back but i look at i mean look at the obstacles you've had in utah i mean When you have a governor and lieutenant governor who is assigned to be over the elections and they're not willing to look for any irregularities, they're not willing to make sure we have a gold standard. They just want to trust them. Oh, my goodness. And you've had, I mean, honestly, you've been threatened with, you know, Spencer Cox, you know, with his veiled threats of conspiracy theorists against the elections And I just don't understand, well, the only thing that would make sense is that they're worried that they 
don't want the elections looked at. That's the only thing that makes sense because you're not getting paid. Do you guys get, do you guys make any money doing what you do? We, we lose money every day. Every day. I'm like, I'm so much poorer because I had to do all of this stuff on our own dime, you know, and people have, you know, there are people who have donated and, and helped with legal fees and some of the public records requests. But at the end of the day, like it is, it's a, it's a triple full-time job that you're working to only be worse off financially for in the end. But I, but you know, what's money in the scheme of things when, when freedom is at stake, I mean, we're not going to have any money, any of us, if we continue this, this horrific path we're on. So I guess, you know, you do what you got to do. Well, when I, when I look at what's happened in Utah, we haven't been able to make a lot of headway with changing and securing our vote. I mean, we tried during the legislative session. I know that um, representative Lyman tried to run a bill and um, there were, some piecemeal things, but we didn't make anything, we didn't make real headway. And in fact, I just felt like they stayed on this crash course by trying to implement ranked choice voting and, and more uh, types of election processes that take away that one vote for one person. And mm-hmm. oh, I'm concerned that I don't know if we're going to see any changes in the outcomes with the 2020, 2022 election. Yeah, I think other states might, but not here, not here in Utah. I mean, again, when you threaten citizens and you have a threat management unit and when you threaten legislators and, you know, you, you propagate the lie that our elections are the gold standard. I mean, I, I, you know, maybe fool's gold, but that's about it. When you propagate that on people who really aren't that interested in solving the problem, you know, some of them want to be informed, but there's, there's, there's a group, but it's not a huge group and not a huge enough group that really wants to solve the problem. You know, we cannot wait till 2024. We don't need to look back at 2020. Well, no, actually we do. We, we desperately need to look back at 2020 because hindsight's 2020, interestingly enough. And how do we fix something if we don't know where and how it's broken? So I'm scared for these elections. We've got people in place who are able to run their own elections at a county level, um, even at the highest level. We know from Governor Cox ran his own election. And how does that process get fixed? I mean, we got to get rid of this lieutenant governor idea and go back to a secretary of state. We're the only state, Utah is in the mainland that has this awful setup, you know, where they run on the same ticket and there aren't really as many checks and balances as there should be. And how do you get out of that? And then earlier, just this morning, um, Chris, Sophie was telling me that she had read a law that said that um, our governor has, uh, there's no term limits for the governor now. I mean, I, I guess it's been in the law for a little while, but I'm like, really, did you find that? I haven't, I haven't verified it myself uh, it's been a busy morning, but I was like, that's an interesting concept when you realize everything that's going on. I'm like, at what point does it become tyranny? Well, that is interesting. But, you know, I we've had I'm trying to Matheson, I believe he was a double or was I can't remember if he served three terms or not. One, We've had kind of a long serving governor, but that's terrifying knowing Cox is in the position right now. Um, we are, we're interviewing, or I'm interviewing Jennifer Orton um, from the um, Two Red Pills in Utah, and we're going to take a short break here. We've got more to talk about with the 2022 election cycle, 
the um, the spiritual battle that we're having right now, trying to um, defend our constitutional liberties. So stay with us here on the Liberty Moms podcast. Welcome back to the Liberty Moms podcast. Chris Kimball hosting today, talking about election integrity in Utah with Jennifer Orton of Two Red Pills in Utah. And you need to follow these two ladies, Jennifer Orton and Sophia Anderson, because they are the pulse of what is happening with the um, kind of revealing the corruption that we have been experiencing in Utah, which we kind of haven't known about. And we talked about how Trump was able to reveal to us the level of corruption that was happening across the country and um, locally by just investigating or trying to investigate. It's been very difficult because we've got uh, a lieutenant governor that doesn't want to comply with Utah law. That would be Deidre Henderson, and she's not willing to turn over voter rolls. And there's some sort of obscure Utah law that has this with, withheld group of, of voters and uh, private voters. And so it makes it difficult for us to even go in and look at the voting cycle after the fact. So um, Jennifer has joined me today, and, and uh, I just so admire all the work that she does with, with Sophie. And um, really, we are blessed that you are taking on this huge task. Because you've got the forces of darkness, like, just like on your doorstep, because you've been willing to just ask questions. You've been willing to go in and request documents that show that there's some um, irregularities and it's, it's by design is what you're finding, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we actually have the documents to prove that. We have probably at this point in time 30,000 pages or more, probably way more, um, of documents that actually show not just the, uh, you know, the corruption, but the crimes and the collusion and the cover-up. And to us, the cover-up is is the part we don't hear so much about. You know, people go, oh, well, you know, these people, they may not know what they're doing. Well, you know, at some point they do, and we have a lot of documents that show that Utah has been involved with certain players, not all players, not and very few of the county clerks, there are some, but um, a lot of them are just, just not asking enough questions. And so they are, you know, kind of like innocent victims in this. And it's really frustrating to see how they have been manipulated by CTCL, which is the Mark Zuckerberg money and the CEIR. And they're sold this package that, hey, you know, we will pay you. Some counties in the nation got $10 million, $15 million. Anything that you ask for with this, you got anything they've bought buildings they've uh, they've given they've paid for ballots for people they've paid for the actual machines you know tiana epps johnson bought a machine for somebody and gave it and this is alarming to have third parties third especially when they're left leaning these third parties interfering at this level with our clerks and i i just want them to step back and go you guys 
like literally stop for a second and think about what are they getting out of it to give out 420 something million dollars to you. And one of the emails that's so telling, actually, we have a couple of them that say the exact same thing. You'll like this, Chris. They actually talk, Mark Solomon is the one doing this, this message and he, um, he works for, for Epps. And um, he says, how do we frame this or make sure we frame this around COVID? In other words, he's talking about the election press releases and the election activities and the money that's coming through. And many, many times they've said, how do we frame this around COVID? So again, I mean, proof right there that COVID was really probably nothing more than um, well, it's it's you know it's the terrorist attack on our rights, right? But but from within, and that's what that's what's going on. So these clerks, I'm like, you know, ask the question: Why are they trying to give you 420 million dollars for hand sanitizer, especially in a state where we're a universal mail-in balloting? Right. Like, what do you need it for at the polling places? They're all closed almost. You know, there's a lot of questions there, and it's really alarming to see. Um, and especially Cache County, by the way, Cache County took the money and so did Utah County. And we have um, so far not been successful getting all of the documents that we have requested to show what exactly that went for. We have some, but there are some communications that are being delayed for months at a time. And, I'm, you know, you got to ask yourself why. So you mentioned earlier about this time frame that you're working under and why it's so critical and you're working so hard. And I want our listeners to be aware of the fact that it's all about 2020 because that's the only data we have. All the other previous election data gets destroyed within a 22-month window. And so that's the only thing we can look at. It's the only thing you can go back and examine and uh, decide whether or not there was fraud or not is 2020 but they um i know cox likes to just put it off by saying hey trump won utah of course there's no fraud i mean he won and that's not the point okay because the 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 type of fraud that was going on was happening across counties and it involved as and we're not going to get into all of it but the algorithms that were assigned and Mm -hmm. implemented in each state So it wouldn't look egregious, but it just, there's a little bit of something happening everywhere. And especially when we have Governor Cox claiming to have 53,614 more votes than Trump. He is the only Republican state where the governor got more votes than the president. And by that much, I'm like, you might have, you guys might have patted that one a little too much. I mean, because that's, no one's going to believe that. And we, we don't believe that especially when you look at his primary and his primary Republican primary showed that he only had like, like 63% of Republicans didn't even want him. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so like his primary is like, okay, this guy is not very popular because he couldn't Mm -hmm. pull a 50% win. Okay. And so all of a sudden now he's just this most popular guy running for office and having more votes than the president. Yeah, it makes no sense. And I think we we always joke about this, but we're actually serious. Um, We've tried to count how many people that we run into that have voted for Cox, and we're up to 12. Well, and I think that includes Amelia's mom and dad. (laughs) It did. That was two right there. Yep. (laughs) 
because she was happy to give that came out. Yeah, she was happy to get that information. But um, but that that twenty two month window is huge that people need to understand. I mean, think about the timing of that. We can destroy the data at 22 months, but elections are 24 months apart. So there is never the potential to go, let's compare what happened pre and post. Let's compare our processes from previous in and not. And then Utah has this horrible law, in my opinion, on the canvassing where they have the election seven days later, they hurry and canvas. And then right at that point in time, by the way, the canvases are not full canvases. They're not, they're not even... Uh, they're not even really looking for what they need to look for. Some of them we have in writing, they did it over the phone. They made 10 phone calls and said, okay, okay. The out of the 10, you know, the people said it all matched. We're good. And they have people, we have records of them negotiating with the Lieutenant governor's office on which boxes and which uh, batches that they want to look at for their canvassing. And the point being that the canvas is a joke But the minute the canvas is done, everything is sealed up and preserved thereafter. So within two-ish, three weeks of an election, we're done. We're done and can't question anything. And all they have to do is wait it out for the 22 months, which is what the lieutenant governor is trying to do with us. But I'm telling you, we're not we're not going anywhere. I don't I don't care how many times we lose, because if we lose, we're still going to win by because they can't destroy the data till we are up to the Supreme Court of the United States, which is an option for us. That is that if that's where it goes, that's where it's going to go. But we are not going to get rid of that data and give them an out for destroying what we have been told some of them have already destroyed. So we're in for the long haul on this one. Well, I want our listeners to know that the reason why they can't destroy it is because you filed a lawsuit. You've got three counties. Um, it's, is it Utah, Millard, Millard and Juab and Juab. So you've sued those three counties telling them they cannot destroy their data. Right. Well, those are the, are those are the ones that we, we took to court so that we could get a judicial decision on whether or not we're allowed to have this data. We had a ruling in Weber County that was looked at by their appeals board, which contained some lawyers, uh, at least one, maybe two. And they looked at it and said, Oh my gosh, we've studied the law for a week after the hearing and we're giving it to you. We're giving it all to you. We cannot see how the Lieutenant governor came up with this. So the lawsuit is for a judicial ruling on the data itself. The other counties, the other uh, 26 counties in Utah are sitting. We kind of parked them in the state records committee. So because that's still in the appeal process, you know, they're not to be heard until October, which we can push that off in the future as well, depending on what's going on with the court case. So every county in Utah is protected right now from the data being destroyed. But you can imagine trying to run that many lawsuits in that many counties and each judge is going, well, wait, what's the other judge going to say? It didn't make a lot of sense. So that was the tactic that I thought would be the best way to kind of handle it. You know, and and Utah County was they were on board. They wanted an audit, so that's why uh, we picked District Four. They they wanted an audit. They needed the data to get the audit. So that audit is on hold until we can get access to the data. But I fully anticipate the Lieutenant Governor will just keep uh, keep appealing and appealing if we win something. I mean, they've got a lot to hide, and I have been told by somebody who heard it firsthand that she is not worried about the Trump election. She's worried about the gubernatorial election, and my answer to her is, you should be. 
Yeah, see, the idea, see, they throw out the Trump election like, hey, he won, don't worry about it. But when you have, um, I, t- I, I think I've talked to you about this before, the way he ran his campaign pre-COVID, went out early in May of 2019 before anybody is really thinking about running for governor and starts running around the state, gathering delegates and getting his endorsements. And then as soon as the election season starts, which is right in the height of COVID, when he has put into place all these policies that have shut down businesses in Utah, hurt families, hurt the economy, and then he goes dark. I was a state delegate. I didn't get invited to one event that he was hosting to to talk to him as a candidate. All the other candidates contacted me, and I was able to talk to him, and we asked him about these uh, draconian um, policies that uh, the governor and and Spencer Cox being over the COVID tax force have put into place an answer to it, but he ends up winning by this small, small margin during a four-way primary. And it's, it's just very suspect that um, he was able to go out and campaign early. And I, I think he knew something was coming down the pike that um, people would be shut off and, and uh, he went out early so he could get his delegates. Well, and, and again, yeah, I mean, you got to remember in 2013, right, the Senate Bill 25 that, that passed, 2013 was when Cox was appointed, you know, selected, not elected, as my shirt says, um, he was selected for that position that in the same year that if there is a state of emergency and in and the bill talks about mass hospitalizations, that the lieutenant governor is given ultimate power to do whatever they need to do to run the elections. I mean, how could you not, how could you not win an election if you have total control over it and you were never, I mean, no one wanted him at the convention. No one voted for him to be Lieutenant governor to begin with. I don't really believe that the 2016 elections were completely clean. So, I mean, at that point I'm going, gosh, I mean, did you just get a hint that we don't want you? I mean, if you can't win your own election, you have no business being there. Right, exactly. Well, that's an obstacle. I'm I'm waiting for some some names to start coming forward here because I think um, I think the sooner somebody jumps in that cycle and can start campaigning on exposing their corruption, I think this is a great campaign season for someone to think about running for governor. I really do because there's so much that you can they've just got so much baggage. Yeah. Okay. And um, anyway, so I'm hoping one of our listeners put a bug in somebody's ear. We're looking for candidates to run against our governor. We've got to make sure. Well, we've got one. We've oh, got you do. one. Okay. So Representative Bill Lyman will be running for governor against Cox in 2024. Has he agreed to that? He, yes, he has. Oh he has God. said that. He said he never, he has never sought it. He never really had thought about it. But after thousands of people, and I know this firsthand, we've had thousands come through us to say, please tell Phil to run. So, I mean, this is legitimately and verifiable. Thousands and thousands of people across the state said, Phil, we really, really need you. You're our only hope. And it's true. I mean, so he, it took him a while, but he finally said, well, you know, the people want it. I don't you know, necessarily want it, but I see that it needs to be done by somebody who isn't in it for any of the other reasons. And he's like, I, I jump in a hundred percent. I absolutely, I'm willing to take that on to clean up this state. 
So I'm super excited. That is the perfect candidate is the one that doesn't want it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's the people, it's the people that are, and it's not just like, you'll have somebody say, oh yeah, somebody called me at five o'clock and told me I should run. No, it is (laughs) of people that are going. And you know, he, he, he's ideal because He's been part of the uh, the legislative process, so he's aware. Well, hello, he's firsthand been had Deidre Henderson for the law when he requested the voter records. She just totally broke the law. I mean, he has yeah. had experience of their corruption. And he's had experience standing up for his rights. We need a governor who says, gosh, the Constitution actually matters. I mean, remember, he was in jail for 10 days for exercising his First Amendment rights in a peaceful protest as the county commissioner down in southern Utah when there was was another federal land grab. He paid almost $100,000 in fines out of his own pocket, spent 10 days in jail. It was ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. But I thought, oh, my gosh, you've already proven yourself to the people of Utah that, you know, that you're willing to stand up for what's right no matter what it costs you. At all. And so I, I a little bit worry about his race because he's running for, for house again in the fall and he's got so much support, you know, around the state, but he's running against um, somebody from the Navajo nation. I believe it's the Navajo nation, a Democrat, and it's a sovereign nation. And if your readers, I mean, your listeners don't know, uh, as a sovereign nation, we don't have access into their election data at all. Um, uh, the lieutenant governor has been down there multiple times and not informed Phil that she's even down there talking to these people in his county. Um, I, I do believe, um, again, just, you know, in my opinion, I think they're working really, really hard to do whatever it takes, wink, wink, right. whatever it takes to get him out of there. Wow. Okay. So what can we do to help Phil? I mean, of course, donations are going to help. Um, yeah. And so um, that's one of the bigger things. It's a it's a more rural obviously it's a rural area. And but he mm-hmm. needs to be able to get the word out. But um I would not put this past Deidre Henderson for one minute. Not the way yeah. she's behaved. And um no, they 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 know they're threatened by him and so they're gonna do everything they can to um try to not allow him to win. Yeah. And my advice to him, and which is probably completely worthless, but I just said, get your lawsuit ready. I don't know if I don't know if your listeners know, but these candidates who are running and they, if they question the election, they've got 24 hours to file a lawsuit, not even just I mean, it's got to be ready to go. I mean, you got to like immediately go, whoa, boom, there's a problem filed the next morning. And with them counting for as long as they count and dragging things on, it makes it almost impossible for these candidates to do that. So I just told Phil, I said, Phil, if there's anything you could do, you know, let's get donations to him. Have that ready just in case. Cause I, that needs to be, if he doesn't win, I do think that needs to be looked into. And I, I've suggested the same thing for Weaver County with Ricky Hatch running his own election. There's a lot of people supporting Toby Molesky there, you know, former mayor of one of the cities up north there. And he's a remarkable man. I just really like him. He's exactly what they need. And, you know, it's, it's strange to me when Ricky Hatch, who, by the way, has ties on the advisory board to um, CTCL Zuckerbuck's money. He's an advisor 
to that whole that whole scam there. And he's also on the election assistance committee as an advisor. And they're the ones who should have certified the machines, but didn't certify the machines, which makes me wonder what's going on with our machines here. Are they certified? Are they not? Lieutenant governor has an legal obligation to only use certified machines. And Sophie and I broke that story a little while ago. We've got more to share on that next week, but I mean, we have all this stuff going on and, you know, Ricky's running his own election. Now I'm not saying he's doing anything wrong, but I'm saying get your ducks in a row for you candidates that are in these key positions that really you can feel the opposition against you. Do everything you can to file that lawsuit right away. Yeah, that's actually a very good piece of advice because I wasn't aware that there was just that short 24-hour window. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. There's things that we are learning about our election laws that need to be examined. And um, you've already mentioned, you know, getting rid of lieutenant governor as the, uh, it needs to be a secretary of state. Right. Isn't that what Mm -hmm. it is in other states? Yeah. So moving back to that where they're not coattails on top of the governor. That's horrible to have those two linked together. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're the only state in the mainland that's doing this. I mean, my goodness. And, you know, it happened back in 1976. And as uh, Sophie and I were digging into this, it was very, very interesting. And we haven't talked about this before, but um, the governor at the time in Utah, was the president of the National Governors Association. And the Secretary of State in Utah was president of the National Association of the Secretaries of State. So we had two completely national, I don't even know what the word is, leaders from Utah at the exact same time, at the exact same year that all of a sudden, I I feel like... um, that the that they they thought they had the power to convince other states to go to the lieutenant governor model. Thank goodness nobody did, except for you know Alaska and Hawaii prematurely. Sorry, sorry, my daughter came home and the dogs are barking. Um, but I feel like that timing was just too incredible to have that level of national leadership coming from Utah, and we're the only ones who fell for this horrible plan, which has just cost us in the thirty years since. Or 40, whatever. Yeah. You know, just chalk that up to Utah. I mean, we have a tendency to, um, oh, let's invite the UN to come into our state and take sovereign, um, uh, take sovereignty over our downtown uh, area of Salt Lake and, and, and bring in their own police force. And, oh, yeah, we, and then unified police again, a socialistic model. I mean, we're just all over jumping onto anything that is bigger and global and and uh, instead of keeping things local control, you know, right down to, you know, the city and the county and everything like that. So um, and it goes back to that, to to the scriptures, right, the spiritual battle. We have been warned so many times in scriptures that they will do these things for power and prosperity and for popularity. And that's really, I mean, that's the motive right there. I mean, you know, when, when those things are your goals, it's going to be corrupt every single time. When you have someone like Phil Lyman who says, oh gosh, I never even thought about running, but I'm getting all these people that asking, I mean, I, I don't want to let them down. I know I could do the job well, and we all know he can too. That's, that's really the le- leaders don't even need to be 
voted for in this system that we've got right now, they just kind of emerge. And Phil is that person. He is an emergent leader. I mean, Blanding, Utah, tiny town. I don't know how tiny, but it's really tiny town. And to have have this person emerge from there as the face across the nation. I know Phil, Phil was just on it. You'll like this, Chris. We just were on, um, I can't remember where, I think it was Tuesday with Sheriff Mack. He called, he called us and said, I need you three to get on with me. Invited us to go down to Las Vegas in July as they do a national press conference with all the sheriffs across the United States who are willing to prosecute election fraud. So we will be speaking at that event. But I mean, that's the kind of thing that right away, I'm like, people across the nation want Phil Lyman in. And again, he's emerged. We need to make sure we need to make sure that happens. But we want to give credit to you, Jennifer. Thank you for all that you're doing. Two red pills in Utah. Follow them on uh, Rumble, right? Uh, There's Rumble. There's Telegram. There's Truth Social. Huge tube. Those are the big ones. Telegram is the best information because we put a lot more out there that we can't on Rumble. Well, thank you for all of your work. Thank you for joining us. This is the Liberty Moms podcast. Thank you for listening in today.